Christmas. Hey, we want to welcome you today. We're glad that you're here. We want to welcome those worshiping with us online as well. A lot of people are at home watching from because of COVID. They've stayed home, and yet you're here. We're glad all of you are here worshiping with us. We're all together. What a great time. I hope all of you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Yes? yes. We did, too. We went up to Tennessee. We actually, uh, I preached at the beach service the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and so then uh, I, I don't get out there as much as I want to, but I need to get out there. And by the way, you know, the service, um, they're, they're remodeling Sharkies. And so right now we're having it at Runaway Island out there. And so you want to make sure and move down the road just a little bit if you go. If you go at 830 and you go to Sharkies, you'll be alone. Now, the Lord will be there, but that'll be it. Just you and, and you may like it that way, just you and the Lord. I don't know. But <clears throat> if you want other people there, you'll have to go to Runaway Island. And, uh, and we'll do that December and January they're remodeling and then we'll get back to the regularly scheduled program. Then we went up to Birmingham, visited up there with our daughter and her family, went on up to Tennessee to my mother's. And what did you have for Thanksgiving? What dessert did you eat for Thanksgiving? Pecan pies God intended, right. That's what you're supposed to have. How many of you had pecan pie? Okay, yeah, yeah. and happy about it too, okay. How many of you had pumpkin pie? Any pumpkin pie? Okay. Um, how many had something else? You like something else for that? What was it? Apple pie. Apple pie? What? Cake. Cake? Fruit cake. Fruit cake? Fruit cake. How many of you have played Frisbee with a fruit cake for Thanksgiving? <laughs> how many of you have scars to prove it? Somebody hit you in the head with one. <laughs> You're just thankful it's over, right? Well, anyway, I'm glad to be back, glad to be worshiping with us. It's always good to come back home and to see you, and uh, I miss you when I'm gone. So we're going to talk about home for Christmas, and last week we talked about God's great love and how he, we can make our home in Him because Jesus came, we can be saved, secured, and sealed in His name. This week we're going to be talking about the fear of home. Have you ever been afraid to go back home? Anybody ever? Think about that for a minute. Have you ever been afraid when you were growing up, maybe? Uh, has there ever been a time in your life when you were fearful to go home? Maybe fearful for the shame or the guilt you would experience or the reminder that you're not enough. There are all kinds of reasons people are afraid to go back home. When I was in elementary school, our family was living in Bowling Green, Kentucky for a few years, and it was during the Christmas holidays. And I went outside uh, during the day, and it was snowing out there, and it was gray and cold. And I walked out in the driveway, and my mother said to me when I went outside, don't get out of your yard. It would have been helpful if I had paid attention to that when she told me that. I, 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 I planned to do that. I, I didn't plan to not obey her. And then Barry Sears, two doors down, was out in his driveway, and he looked down there and saw me and said, hey, what'd you get for Christmas? And just instinctively, I walked up to his driveway there. We started talking. I told him what I got for Christmas, and then he told me the news. He got the game Battleship for Christmas. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. I, I'd only seen it on TV in commercials back then. That's the way you found out about things back then. There was no online. It was just turn on the TV, three channels, wait for the commercial, hope something happens. You know, it was that kind of a thing. And there wasn't any, I'm going to text you and I'll meet you in a few minutes kind of stuff. It was like, I wonder who's out there today that I can hang around. I'll go to their house and find out if they're there. I'll ride my bike, right? So I go up to Barry Seeger's house, 
And he tells me he's got Battleship. Not only that, his parents are at work. He said, well, come on in. We'll play Battleship. It was really cold outside. It was warm inside. And he got something else for Christmas. You know what he got? He got chocolate-covered cherries. Oh, man. I had never had chocolate-covered cherries. And so I ate all of his chocolate-covered cherries for him. And we sat there all afternoon and played Battleship. We had a really good time, and then it was time for me to go home. And so when I got home, as I was heading back, I, I thought to myself, you know, I think there was something I was supposed to do, and I forgot to do it. Let's see, what could it be? Was I distracted? Oh, yeah. I was supposed to stay in my yard. How could I have forgotten that? I should have gone back in and told my mom where I was going. I just got distracted. I'm a kid. I'm in elementary school. I made a mistake. Now I'm afraid to go home, right? So I go home, and this is what my mom says. Just wait till your father comes home. Yeah. Well, that made it great. And all of a sudden, those chocolate-covered cherries weren't so great anymore. And so I was really like sick to my stomach at this point. And so I was thinking, how can I make it up? What can I do? I've messed up. And, and now the wrath of my dad is coming down upon me. How am I going to deal with this? And so I got this idea. It was snowing and the driveway had a lot of snow. And I thought, my dad's going to have to drive his car in on the driveway. So I guess what I need to do is go out there and shovel all that snow off of the driveway so that when he pulls in, he'll be able to get his car in. And maybe I'll get a little grace here. So that's what I did. Now, by now, it's cold and it's dark outside. And I'm out there shoveling away. And I mean, I'm going to town. And it's a long driveway. And I'm, I'm getting all the snow. But it's also snowing while I'm doing this. My mother opens the door. She leans out and she says, hey, you realize that while you're shoveling the snow off, it's still snowing and it's just going to cover it back up again. And I said, well, if you were me, what would you do? She said, keep shoveling. So I did. <laughs> I kept shoveling and I shoveled that whole driveway off. And when my dad got home, my mom said, okay, here's what he did. I told him to stay in the yard, but he forgot. And he went up to Barry Sears' house and played Battleship and ate chocolate-covered cherries. But he also shoveled that whole driveway off for you so that you could pull the car in when you get home. So you might want to take it easy on him. So all he did was he came in and he said, the next time your mom tells you to stay in your yard, try to remember to stay in your yard. And that was it. And there was grace and mercy and peace on earth. And it was, it was wonderful. And, and I was ready for more chocolate-covered cherries now and another game of Battleship. And how wonderful it is to go back home and, and to experience that. Well, this morning, we're going to look at the book of Micah. And you think, Micah, I don't remember hearing that during Christmas. And you don't. But, but there are some implications in it that we can take from it. Micah was from a small country. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't somebody with credentials. He was just called by God to be a prophet. And he had to speak the truth to people. And being a prophet's not easy. Because when you have to speak the truth to people and people are disobedient from God, they don't want to hear the truth, right? Nobody likes to be reminded that they've messed up. That's why they crucified Jesus. He was a constant reminder by his perfection of our imperfections. And, and you either can embrace that or you resist it. And a lot of people resisted it. And so what happens is that sometimes we think that God can't love us and forgive us. Well, in this book, Micah is, is called to deliver some messages of hope to the people of God. And there's a couple of things that he wants them to understand. They don't need to abandon 
their faith for idolatry, that to just worship things, other things. And also, they need to return to their sincere faith by God. They, they've gotten distracted. God has told them what he wants, but they've been distracted and they're doing other things now. And the first message he's trying to give them is a warning. And he's trying to say, God loves you. I love you. I'm trying to help you. If you'll just listen to me and be obedient, things will work out fine. But if you don't, the divine judgment of God is coming both on Judah and on Israel and on Samaria. And the message was fulfilled. The message that he was given was the truth, and it was fulfilled in 722 BC when Assyria defeated Israel, and then in 606 to 586 BC when the Babylonians invaded Judah, they destroyed Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple, and they took the people into exile into Babylon. Now the second message focuses on Israel's future. Here's the stuff we've done wrong, now here's the future for us. Micah first rebuked the leaders of the nation for their sinful conduct, which God would judge. And he outlined events that would usher in a promised kingdom. The first message is kind of presented in a courtroom drama. God is bringing a lawsuit against the people. And Micah is holding them accountable for a couple of sins. One is their covetousness. They, they covet other people's things. You know, during this season of the year when gift giving is going on, did you ever, were you in your family and maybe your brother or your sister got a gift that you wanted and you thought to yourself, I covet that. Did you ever do that? Any, anybody want to confess today? Surely that had the wrong name tag on it. It was supposed to go to me. How did they get it? I wanted that. So that was one thing. And then they were listening to false prophets instead of listening to the true prophets of God. The wealthy people in Micah's day were acquiring huge estates in which they would enslave the poor and they'd make huge profits off of those investments. The false prophets were using religion to make money and enjoy pleasure, and they had no thought about sin or repentance. They weren't even dealing with that. They were just doing what they wanted to do. And as seen, there was a lot of corruption that was going on. Micah's message was met with opposition. They said, hey, things are good for us. Don't be telling us that. We don't want to deal with that. And it didn't change the hearts of the people. And you see that over and over again, where God is trying to reach people and they're just not listening. They're just not responding. They're being stubborn. They're closing their ears. They're closing their eyes. They're just not being obedient to God. And you might be thinking, well, well, I've never done anything like these people have done. I mean, these people are really bad. I've never taken advantage of people like that. But you may have placed your faith and trust in other things instead of God. Maybe you've placed it in materialistic things and you've started seeking things to find pleasure and satisfaction and hope and peace somewhere else besides God. Or maybe you've started believing in a soft gospel that simply says, hey, you don't have to repent. You don't have to ask forgiveness. You, you don't need to worry about that. Just do what you want to. God will forgive you. It'll be okay. Don't, don't worry about it. Often when we come face to face with our true brokenness, we have shame and guilt, which makes us fearful of coming home to Jesus. Have you ever noticed that when you do something wrong or you're living a life that's far from God, that you're afraid to even talk to God about it? I, I don't want to confess to God. I don't even want to bring it up to God. I don't want to have to talk about it to God. I don't, want to, I don't even want him to know about it. Well, guess what? He knows. He already knows. 
You know, I made a commitment to Christ when I was 10 years old and I was growing up and, and it was real and it was genuine and I was baptized that week and I was at vacation Bible school. And when I got up into high school, I, I was an athlete and so I had the youth group at the church and I hung out with them, but then I had my athlete friends and I hung out with them at school and I just tried to get along with everybody and just kind of ride the fence and, and not really take a stand about anything. And, and during that time, I became very miserable. I became, if you look at my yearbook picture, my junior year in high school, you'll see an unhappy person because I knew what it meant to be a Christian, but I wasn't living like a Christian. I was just kind of doing my own thing and living for myself. And so it made me feel inadequate. Maybe your past makes you feel inadequate. Maybe the current stronghold that's going on in your life makes you feel like you're fearful of God. And what happens is when we get far from God, we hesitate to go back to Him and make things right. But you know what? God's always ready and willing to make things right. And every day we can turn to Him and say, now, Lord, I need your help today. Please forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Cast my sins as far as the east is from the west. And God comes along and he said, I love you. I forgive you. And when he looks at us because of Jesus as Christians, he sees righteousness in us because Jesus put it there. And, and that's a wonderful thing of grace. So you can come home and there is grace and so maybe you've forsaken God as your love, and instead you put your faith and hope in other things. Regardless of what's going on in your life, stay with me because I've got some good news for you today. There's a way out. In Micah, the second chapter, we see a glimpse of Micah's first message, and it says, Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light, they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. Therefore, the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be my, a time of calamity. In that day, people will ridicule you. They will taunt you with this mournful song. We are utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. He takes it from me. He assigns our fields to traitors. Therefore, you will have no one in the assembly of the Lord to divide the land in the lot or by lot. And as we read these first two verses, we see the corruption that's going on. We see the warning that he's giving. We see how God's going to respond. And he says, I am planning a disaster against these people. Let me tell you, that's not, that's not a place where you and I want to live, is it? You know, we want to make sure that things are right between us and God and other people. So before you walk out of this room today, you need to understand this crucial truth. Hope is found in the midst of of God's loving discipline. Now, when you're when you were little and your parents would discipline you and they would say it's going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me or it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you and they disciplined you or whatever they did. Did you did you buy that? Did you believe that they were these people just enjoy this. What are they doing beating on me? What's the deal, right? But you know what? If your parents loved you, they were taking care of you. They were saying, okay, don't play in the street. It's dangerous. So, you know, I'm going to get your attention to make sure you stay in your yard, even if Barry Sears does have chocolate-covered cherries, right? So what you've got to do is you've got to realize there's a motivation of love. Same thing with God. 
God has a motivation of love. We're his children. He loves us. He wants the best for us. So he's trying to help us. Proverbs says, the Lord disciplines those he loves. That's right. So thank God that he disciplines us. That means he loves us. Just like a loving parent, God disciplines his children whom he loves. And Micah's message is a message that proclaims that judgment is coming to the people of God. It's a message that God has called Micah to share. Now, he's offering a message of discipline. Samaria will be destroyed by the Assyrians. Judah, will, Jerusalem will also fall. God's people will be sent into exile. But discipline is never God's final destination. It's often used to bring us back to God, to get us on the right path again. And it's always used for our ultimate good and his infinite glory. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's important that we recognize the word good there means referring to God's ultimate good. His ultimate good is not to just make our lives easy or make us healthy or wealthy or blessed. But listen, now listen to me. Hear this. The greatest God, good that God can do for you and me is to make us like Jesus. He's trying to make us more like Jesus, his son. We're going to spend our whole lives with him molding us into becoming more christ like. That's what Christian means, Christ-like. And so it's his loving discipline in the midst of our lives that helps us to stay on the right track. And then it says in Micah, the fifth chapter, he's talking about a future that will give us hope and encouragement. And it says, marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They shall strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers will return to join the Israelites." He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. We will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders." who will rule the land of Assyria with the sword of the land of Nimrod with drawn sword. He will deliver us from the Assyrians they, when they invade our land and march across our borders. And who will be the ruler over Israel? And who will be the one from Bethlehem? And who will be the origins? Where will they come, the one who will come from old? And who will stand as a shepherd of the flock and who will be our peace? Jesus, the Prince of Peace. That's who he's speaking of. And so the second thing we see is that hope is found in God's future promise. We all know Bethlehem from the Christmas story, but it was an out-of-the-way place. In fact, 
Joshua mentions 115 towns, and Bethlehem doesn't even make the list. You know, when Laura and I got married, not too long after we got married, we got married in December, and then I finished college, and she was in school, too. She was still in college. And then we moved to Kentucky, and I was to go to seminary in Kentucky, and she was to finish college there. And so we were serving these two little churches. We had this little student appointment and, and was in Hubble, Kentucky, H-U-B-B-L-E. All of you have heard of the megalopolis of Hubble, Kentucky, I'm sure. And so we had to commute. We would be there at the house, and then we would move, and we would go to school every day. She would be in college. I would be in seminary. We'd leave in the morning. It would be dark. We'd come home at night. It would be dark. I'm not kidding. She would go with me out to the coal bin. We would take the coal scuttle. She would hold a flashlight so that we could scare off all the rats. I would get the coal and put it in the scuttle, take it inside because the house was always cold. It had shears, the wind blew in, it had walls with no insulation, they had baseboard heating, I don't recommend it. It was an old house. <clears throat> when we first moved into that house, that summer we moved in, I took her, we were walking through the house together. I know how to show a girl a good time. We hadn't been married any time. We walked into the bathroom and the ceiling had fallen into the bathtub. You could see the sky. I tried to tell her it was a skylight. She wasn't buying it. Okay, this is the kind of house that we were living in there. And so we had to have a fire. One night, if we had not had electric blankets, we probably would have died. We got up, they were covered over our heads. We had all these blankets on the bed. We got up that morning, always on Sunday morning. It had snowed. There was water in the dishes in the sink that was beginning to freeze. I am not kidding. I have a witness. Laura will tell you it was the truth. I went outside. I had to go to preach in two churches. I go outside and I made a, a really big mistake. I won't, I won't do this again. The car had about a foot of snow on it, right? There's no carport. There's no garage. I'm out there sweeping snow off the car. I sweep all the snow off the car. Then I get in. I put the key in the ignition. I turn it, and it says click. It was dead as a doornail. That would have been handy information to know before I swept all the snow off of it because I'm not going anywhere in it. We had to borrow J.B. Holtzclaw's pickup truck. You, you would drive straight down the road with a steering wheel going like this. I'm not making it up. And you'd go preach at one church, then another. Two services on Sunday morning, two services on Sunday night. It was a different kind of place. Well, the parsonage was across the road from one of these churches, and it was in this community. Now, it was in the middle of three small towns, okay? There was Danville, there was Lancaster, and there was Stanford. And so I think we have a map of that. There we go. There we go. Right there it is. Now, you need to know this valuable information. The road used to go through Hubble to get to these places, but then it, it was such a roundabout way and there was a river that went through there. So they just made a bypass from Danville to Lancaster. And by the way, how many of you would have known how to say Lancaster if I hadn't told you? Because I grew up in Tennessee in McMinnville and down the road we played Manchester in football. We didn't play Manchester. Well, when I got to Kentucky, I got an education. It's Lancaster, so there, no extra charge for that. All right. And then they made a road from Lancaster to Stanford, and then they made a four-lane from Stanford to Danville. So people didn't come through Hubble going anywhere. If people came to Hubble, they came on purpose, okay? So you didn't have a lot, a lot of traffic coming through there to visit our little church there. It was just a place with a church and farmhouse. 
farm houses and then a general store and a gas pump and you had to drive five to eight miles in one of those directions to get to town and the point was it was an out-of-the-way place well that's kind of the way Bethlehem is it's an out-of-the-way place and 700 years before the coming of Jesus Micah predicts that the Son of God will be from Bethlehem in fact he'll be born there the irony is that Mary is a penniless peasant and she isn't even from Bethlehem. It happened at the time of Caesar Augustus issued a decree that there was going to be a census taken. And this led them to go back to their own town, for which for Joseph was Bethlehem from the town of David. So yet Micah predicts this exact decision and precision uh, of what's going to happen 700 years in advance. If God is trustworthy to tell us something that's going to happen 700 years in advance through a prophet, surely he can speak to us today as well. We serve a God who is concerned with the big picture, but thank God we serve a God who cares about the minute details of our lives. And so they matter to him. We don't serve a God of condemnation or judgment or fear. We serve a God who makes a way when there is no way for us. A God who loves us enough to live with us, to become flesh and dwell among us. A God who sends his son to die for us. A God who loves us so much that he wants to be with us. And he's not mad or upset with us, he's just madly in love with us. We don't have to be fearful of coming home to that kind of a God because he cares about all the details of our lives and he's working for good, for his ultimate good, and to make us more like his son, Jesus. God works through those ways sometimes that we would never expect, like through the prophet of a podunk town, through a census and through a penniless peasant uh, and to a carpenter, so that he could know us and love us and remind us that it's time for us to come home, that he did it for us and that he'll do it again. What Micah is predicting is that the one who is a ruler and yet a shepherd is Jesus. And in John it says this, and Jesus is speaking, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is hired, he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I will lay down my life for the sheep. And so Jesus is our shepherd king, the one that Micah prophesied about 700 years before his arrival. The good news of Christmas is that Jesus is like a king like no other, a king who would step down from his throne and make his dwelling among us, who would lay down his life so that we might be forgiven. A shepherd king who gives us hope in the midst of loving discipline. A shepherd king who gives us hope no matter what our lives are like, no matter where we've been or what we've done. He calls us by name. This morning, he's calling you back to himself. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how long you've been gone, you have nothing to fear. His arms are open wide. He's waiting patiently for you to come back home. And it's that good news that we experience today and all the tomorrows that we're going to face. Today, maybe you're a person who feels like, you know, I just don't feel worthy of God. 
I just don't feel worthy to be with God. I'm far from God. I used to be closer, or maybe I've never been close to him. Today, as we receive communion, it's a chance for you to come home to be with God, to experience what communion is really all about. What does communion mean? It's a way for us to remember, a tangible way for us to remember that Jesus died, that, that he gave his body and his blood so that we might be forgiven. Today, as we receive this communion, it's a chance for us to thank him for that. There's some things that take place when we receive communion. First, we hear the invitation that's given. And I want you to know it's given to every person here. Everybody here can receive communion today. But the first thing that we do before we accept the invitation, he tells us to confess our sins. God, please forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Cast my sins as far as the east is from the west. And so we confess to him today. We do that now. And then when we've done that, it's a chance for us to accept the invitation that's given. We come and receive communion. And what do we do? Just instinctively, just naturally, we thank him. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. Thank you that if I were the only person on earth, you would have died for me so that I could live forever with you in heaven. Thank you for introducing me to the Father, for giving me your spirit, the Holy Spirit, who lives in me to help me to follow you, to help me remember, to hear that still small voice guiding me when I'm distracted by the world to lead me back to you. That's what I need, and I want to thank you for it. And then it's a chance after that for us to leave because we've been with God. We can't be with God without being different. And when we leave this place, it's not just for our benefit, but it's so that we might go out and be a witness to other people, so that we might be a representative of Christ God's going to give us divine appointments this week. He's going to put people in our path. He's going to deliver people to us. And sometimes it may just be that we smile. Maybe we speak. Maybe, though, we get to know them. Maybe we develop a relationship. Maybe we get to a place where they might ask us a question about God, and we get a chance to answer it. You never know what God will do, how he will use just any small thing, how he brings us together for those things for such a time as this to accomplish his purpose. And so today, I want you to take your communion wafer and hold it up so that it's on top. And I want you to open it up, and I want you to hear these words. Jesus said, this is my body given for you. And so now you may take it, open it up, and receive the body of Christ that he gave for you. And then also, just as he prayed with the disciples and offered them his body, then he prayed with them as well, and he offered them the cup. I want you to take the cup and open it up. He said, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and receive it now. Receive what God has given you. Receive the body and blood of Christ and the forgiveness that he offers. Now today, I just want to help you understand that sometime today before you leave, if you'd like, <clears throat> there are baskets right here. And you can make a donation into these baskets. Let me tell you about that. The baskets for the We Care ministry. It's a food pantry here at the church. And the food pantry is a way for you to contribute and help people. It's run by volunteers. There are no paid employees. It met in a closet when I came. We had two lay people and they said, hey, we need a bigger place. And God provided a building and now we have a building. And so they meet with them. They pray with them. They listen to them. Sometimes they lead them to Christ. They help them. They provide food. Because of your generosity, because you bring food, because you bring resources, it's not even in the budget. We, re we receive over $70,000 a year because of your generosity 
And I want to thank you in advance for that because it's a way for us to do what God said. God said, you will always have the poor with you. Jesus said, I won't always be here, but you'll always have the poor with you. So maybe those of us who have can share with those who don't. Maybe that's what he had in mind when he did that. And so I want to encourage you. You can come, you can donate, you can do it now, you can do it later, whenever you want to do it. But before you leave today, if you'd like to do that, that's the We Care Ministry. Now, when you leave today, there's also a basket over there at the door and in the back, and there's also the kiosk in the back. And if you want to give God his tithe and your gifts and offerings, you can do that. That's separate. That's a part of your uh, tithe to God and, and the gifts and offerings that you're going to give. This is above and beyond that. And so i just help you to understand that those things are separate and you can be a part of that. I just want to thank you for your presence today and your attentiveness. You're listening to me. I hope it was a word of encouragement to you. I think this season of the year is a time that draws us together with God and with family. And it's a wonderful time of the year. It's also a wonderful time to come home. Maybe this is where God is talking to you today. Maybe he's speaking to you now and, and you hear him and, and you've been far from him and he's saying, it's okay. Don't worry about the past. Don't worry about what's gone on and, and what's going on in the past. Just come home. Just come and be with me. Just come and walk with me and know me. Take my hand every day. Let's walk together. It's an opportunity for you to respond as Bill leads us today. 